Hello, and welcome to Behind the Confidence Mile. I'm your host, Bianca Cotton. I'm thrilled to be here with you for a conversation that delves into the deeply personal and often overlooked aspects of infertility. Today, we are privileged to have three remarkable women, Sarah, Brandy, and Erica, who have generously agreed to share their unique journeys with us. A warm thank you to each of you for being here today. Infertility is a topic that touches the lives of many, yet it's often veiled in silence. The National Institutes of Health defines infertility as a challenging role where women aged 15 to 44 face the inability to conceive after a year of actively trying and for men, the struggle to impregnate a woman. The NHI also recognizes that women who become pregnant but cannot carry a pregnancy to term may also be considered infertile. In today's episode, we will explore the nuances of infertility, unraveling the emotional, physical, and societal layers that accompany this journey. Join us as we navigate through these powerful narratives and elevate the voices of Sarah, Brandy, and Erica. Thank you for being a crucial part of today's conversation. Thank you. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. How you doing today? Good, good. <laughs> awesome, awesome. So when you think back to maybe childhood or teenagehood, did you hear the word infertility? No, I don't remember hearing it when I was younger. I knew a lot of people who had a lot of kids, so. <laughs> mm. No, I never heard about it growing up. I, I did. Um, I don't know if that was because I watched too many soap operas with my with my family, but I knew about it, but didn't recognize how it existed in the black community. Mm. So at what point did you all gain an understanding of what infertility meant? I think for me, when I experienced that's what it was, that's when mm. I found out what infertility was. It just kind of was like, whoa. This, this exists, you know, so. Yeah, I've, I would have to say the same. Um, my mom was a teen mom, and so there was a lot of, like, slut-shaming. There was a lot of expectation mm. that there would be certain tendencies in me mm. that, you know, was, I guess, a part of my mom's past that was kind of put on me. And so I had this idea in my mind, like if I were ever to do that, the second I do it, I'm going to have a baby. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, so it wasn't until I was diagnosed really that I think that I knew or had even conversations around that for the first time. Mm. I think I was pretty aware of it even before I finished grade school, um, just because I was curious about people and like relationships and kids. Um, and I ended up doing like volunteer work around like HIV AIDS by the time I got to high school. And so just by the nature of what I was doing, I was aware of infertility in children, um, but not that it was one in four, one in eight, mm -hmm. one in whatever it may be. I was unaware that it was so common. Mm -hmm. It was more of this kind of hushed conversation. Yeah, there are some people who are inf infertile, but that's not you. That's not mm. us. That's not, that's for them. Mm. 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 Erica, you, you mentioned you didn't know what infertility was until you were told you were infertile. Yeah. So 
Was that a medical diagnosis that yeah. was given to the you? The doctor literally told me I was infertile and I might as well take my uh, fallopian tubes and get rid of them because I couldn't have kids. Mm. What about for you, Sarah? A medical diagnosis um, and, and, you know, when we come back to you, Erica, how was that explained to you? Was that the only way that was explained? You should take out your... F- that kind of like, it's interesting. So like when you first go through the fertility process, they're like, okay, well, cool. We're, we're going to give you this progesterone. You know, we're going to get your body right. Then they start giving you like... I mean, some people get clomid, some people get other type of medicine, and you're on it. Sometimes they say, oh, you take this for a year, then we'll see where we're going. But, you know, like from my experience, um, the first doctor I had, he did a few tests. We did the histocell pentagram to see if my fallopian tubes would go through the dye. They didn't even make it through the entryway. I remember mm. laying on the bed and the doctor told me, <laughs> he said, this doesn't hurt. You you know, you can lay there and we can get this over with. And so when I had mm. the next doctor's appointment, the doctor who had been helping me, I, I want to say it wasn't even, I don't even think he was helping me. We were in three months. He told me, you know, I should just, you know, have a hysterectomy because I can't have kids. I'm infertile. It's mm. nothing he could do. Wow. Hmm. It's just so frustrating <laughs> to hear yeah. and really maddening to hear that was your experience. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, I, I, I wanted to know what was going on because within, you know, my, in my mind, I'm like, when I'm really trying, it's going to happen. And so within the first year of trying, uh, I had let them know that I was concerned around that. And then they typically, in order mm-hmm. to have it logged, you wait like to to show that that was a concern so that the year ahead mm-hmm. they have the evidence of you you know having unprotected sex for that year and so um there was no diagnosis apart from infertile just for mm-hmm. that reason alone but there was just always a situation where there was a moving target right like it's this oh no it's this it's mm-hmm. that so it could be hormonal um there were instances where I had issues with prolactin, my prolactin mm-hmm. hormone being low, so they needed to do things to with medication for that. I had issues with an ovarian torsion. I had um, a cone biopsy for abnormal cells. I had mm-hmm. uh, endometriosis. Mm-hmm. It was just something that One after the issues other. with fibroids. It was just a lot going on, but no official, like, this is the thing. It was just a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mine was a medical diagnosis. So I have had problems with my cycle since I was a kid. But the, mm-hmm. the reason was because, uh, kind of like the moving target. One reason was because I was too active. Mm-hmm. Another reason was because um, I think I was a pound or two overweight. I was too active. Then I was too active and I was overweight by a couple of pounds. Then it was because sometimes this just happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it was, don't worry about it. She'll grow out of it. When she's older, she's ready to have children. Everything will be fine. 
there's a running joke with my husband and I. When he proposed, I said, ooh, he had like a real job. So I said, ooh, I get that real insurance. This is great. And I had finished grad school and hadn't had my health insurance. So as soon as we got married, I said, okay, it's time to go back and get your you know, physical done. There was a resident. Um, my regular doctor wasn't there. And a resident said, um, I need you to come back in for your results. So I was like, no big deal. She says, has anyone ever told you you have a condition called, at the time, premature ovarian failure, which is now called premature ovarian insufficiency. I was like, no. Mm. I was born at this hospital, and I had, had all my medical care at this hospital. I'm in like 25 mm. by now. So I've been here for 25 years. Mm. Um, and I've had problems since I was 13, 14. And I said, no, I don't, I don't know what that is. And so she explained what it is. Um, and so she went through different symptoms, but she mentioned infertility. And then she mm. mentioned if you ever want to have children, um, you probably will need to adopt or use a donor. I had been married two days. Like, I mean, mm. it, may, it may have been three months. Wow. Mm. And so the idea of infertility and the idea mm. that the man that I married, I've known him since, ninth, since eighth grade. So the idea that we've had these conversations since we were children, you know, um, about ha ha ha, one day we'll be married. Yeah. Who thought that really would have happened? But it did. Um, and then now to be told by some stranger that you have a condition that should have been diagnosed over a decade ago. Mm. Um, then my opportunities would have been different over a decade ago. And I don't know what she said. You know, I always say she could have told me the key to life or said, hi, my name is Jesus. I'm here to save you. <laughs> I would have never known because all right. I heard was infertile. I just got married. <sighs> so yes, there was a diagnosis. Um, and that's how I've kind of been on the roller coaster of infertility. Mm. And that moment, Brandy, what did that feel like? Like, if you don't mind bringing us into that moment, I've been in the same medical institution for more than two decades, from mm -hmm. doctor to doctor, now a person that I've never met who is studying, right? Like mm -hmm. they're studying. Picked Just up, by the way. <laughs> picked up something that has never been told to me how does that feel? In the moment, honestly, it didn't really, f I didn't really feel in the moment. It was mm. more like she was telling me, it was like, um, what is that, the Peanuts character with the teacher, the wah-wah? Uh. So it really was a wah-wah-wah. She handed me a piece of paper from the Mayo Clinic, and it's a rare condition, right? And so she said, something, something, rare condition, something, something, infertility, something, something, eggs, something, 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 here you go. I said, mm. oh, okay. Mm. And I remember walking to my car, and in my car, it just was, I was done. I just, I mean, I'm sure if anyone saw me, they were like, is she okay? Full tears. Mm. I didn't kind of know what to do. I had to gather myself together and I drove home. Um, and then I just got my bed because I'm like, I can't reconcile what she just told me with where I am and where I think I'm going and the plans mm. that we had made, the plans I had made. Um, and so it was a very traumatic experience I don't think she could have been kinder, right? Because she was just saying, did you, mm -hmm. did anyone tell you this? Because she saw I had been there for two decades. Mm -hmm. So she really was like, huh, well, it looks like no one ever told you. So she was actually filling in the gap from other people who just never told me, you mm -hmm. know? And I had some of the, at the doctors were some of the best doctors, pedi pediatricians in the world. But then I think that also goes to, I don't know, I don't think that the, um, adult doctors and pediatricians talk because mm. if the adult doctors could diagnose, diagnose me, um, the reproductive endocrinologist, are you talking to the pediatricians 
when they get people like me. Mm-hmm. Because at 14, someone should have told me. I should need to be 18 to be told about a condition, but a pediatrician wouldn't know about it. The adult RE does. Mm-hmm. And so because there was no connection and no conversation, the person who's learning and is doing a residency every other place, it's like, oh, hey, by the way, let me tell you about this. Mm. And then even still, they had no treatment. Mm. They're like, well, we think that you're supposed to be on um, HRT. I'm 25. What does it look like for me to be on HRT until I reach 60? They're like, there are no studies about that. We don't know. Hmm. What would you all want to say to the medical professionals um, that you have engage with on this journey? What would you want to tell them? And um, the medical professionals who are studying and in school, what would you want them to know? I know that's a twofold, and that's a big that's one. A big one. <laughs> I know I opened up a can of worms here, but I, I really think it's something to be said, one, how information is presented to you because this is your body and it's your life and also, um, even down to snarky remarks, mm-hmm. right? That mm-hmm. was said like, oh, you might as well just throw them away. It's like, mm-hmm. what would you want them to know? Um, I think the biggest thing is, is I, the first thing that I want to say is thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm an educator by profession. I know what it feels like to serve people. And you can be really desensitized when you're coming into so many experiences that um, can feel like 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 a normal issue and it's like no this is not this is not normal right so um, when f- for me going through a lot of the issues that we did I could tell when I was coming into contact with doctors, nurses, phlebotomists, whomever, that were very much so in tune with me and Mm. not desensitized. And so I would say thank you. And I would say, like, keep yourself in in a space of empathy and human connection. And I I don't know if that's even taught within the the field of, you know, medicine. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're discouraged from doing that. Um, and, mm-hmm. and when it is, or if it is, it shows. It shows in the care that's received and it is really difficult to convey just how that affects the body, mm-hmm. this, this psychological experience yeah. that a woman goes through. And that, that can really hinder the, you know, the healing process, I think, in being able to find yourself in a space where you're able to navigate through it well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I would say. Yeah. Um, for me, I probably say um, the fact that you're a patient, that I'm the patient, and you're the doctor or practitioner, partnering with me, do it, do the job of partnering with me. If even if the facts hurt, uh, give, um, come with me with some kind of like what you said, the mm-hmm. empathy, but also partner with me. You know, give me the information. You know, don't take my choice to choose whatever the decision or the path is, you know, don't tell me you may just have to adopt, you know, it may be other options besides adoption and give me hope. You know, you're in a position as a doctor Mm -hmm. or practitioner to empower me to take control of my health matters. That's why 
my insurance or my cash maybe is paying for your service because I am trusting you to partner with me for my health. So that would be the thing for me just to really partner, be sensitive. Um, I do believe in that doing to others as you want done to you because you will read what you sow. So it's like all of those things, just be mindful and do your research because that is something else I've noticed depending on that zone of um, of the, where the strength is in the medical field, like even when women do have children, um, some don't have enough information. If you don't know, it's okay to say, I don't know. Let me find somebody else to, that is more knowledgeable to help. Don't just pre-diagnose and then you tell somebody to do something to find out that really wasn't the issue. It's kind of like you ever seen the movie, the episode House, where they're spending mm-hmm. all this time trying to figure out what's wrong. <laughs> Let's go check this. Let's go check mm-hmm. this. Let's go check this. You know, exhaust all costs to to figure out what's wrong before you make a decision. Because especially speaking with like all the medicines that's going on, mm-hmm. a lot of them have after effects or effects mm-hmm. that do more wear and tear on the body. Mm-hmm. Partner with me and advocate for me like you will want somebody to do it to you or even your children yes. for that matter. Mm. So good. Absolutely. I think I would um, tell them to be more compassionate, um, partner, and define what that means for me because I think each patient is going to be different on what they need. Um, Also, Mm. I think to learn how to be culturally competent. When I walk into an office and all I see are blonde white faces on the wall and blonde white white faces at your desk, I'm not represented anywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm. So when I walk into the space, I can wonder, am I supposed to be here? When I walk into the fertility clinic and no one looks like me, when the wall of thank yous and babies are there and yes. none of them look like me, yes. are you for me? Do you understand yes. me? And so it it makes you wonder, you're already there, you don't want to be there. But then when you get there, it's not comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the jokes, the, the bad disposition, mm-hmm. the continuing to yes. look for things that they know is not wrong. And then also understand that while insurance pays you, you still work for me. That mm-hmm. part. And so I want you to treat me like your most precious loved one. You treat me and all your patients like that. Of course, there has to be some form of disassociation, right? You can't take that with you every day, but you can still have some compassion and some empathy. Um, And if you have gotten to the space where you can no longer feel for the person sitting in the chair with you, then maybe you need to retire and find something else to do. Because then you end up with, just take your tubes out. Mm -hmm. Who, Who says that? And then I have to question if her name was Becky, would that have been the response? Mm. Hmm. Noted, <laughs> right? Noted. <laughs> and it, it goes into a question that I have for you all. And I think you already answered it is as a black woman, right? When there's so many images and so much bias, um, against black women, like, oh, they're just super fertile and they can have a a lot of children and it should be no issues with you getting pregnant. How it felt to to know in that moment, I cannot carry a child. But I'm being told that I cannot carry a child. I am not represented in these pictures on the walls or on the table or even depending on who your practitioner is, my practitioner's do not look like me. How did how did that sit as a black woman? Um, I I was 
speaking with you a little bit <laughs> in private about how I'm mixed, mm -hmm. right? My mom is white and I was raised around, I was raised in an all white community. So my encounters with black women were with my family um, a few times a year, maybe, right? If I got to see that side of my family. Um, the, when, I, when I was older and I started having more personal connection with black women, it was through church. And oftentimes those experiences filled me with a sense of strength and might. Um, but at times I would have a lot of conversation where there was, there were, I, I don't know, I, I don't know what to call them, but like just maybe like faith statements that would put me in a state of doubt or confusion mm -hmm. even with like, why is this happening to me? So things that maybe were intended to be said in love, but just saying things like, put, baby, put some blessed oil on it, like eat mm -hmm. you more yams or It'll mm -hmm. happen according to your faith and, um, you know, fast and pray. And those things, I mm -hmm. think, were absolutely, I mean, that that is real <laughs> for me. That was real for me, the, the faith component. But there were also instances, I think, for me as a, as a black woman, I don't pass for white, okay, so I'm black. Um, <laughs> but as a black woman, I think that I found myself wondering, like, is it something that God is upset with me about? Mm. Where I'm, or am I, um, you, I would hear people say, you know, you're going through this to help somebody else. And I'd be like, what do you love me? Why do you love me? You know? Um, yeah. Or did I have to be chosen? Right, right. <laughs> like, I didn't ask for this. I wasn't in that line. Right. I just think as a woman, it took the wind out of my sails. And it, mm. and it, and, and honestly, I can look at it now and say, I needed women. Mm. I needed all women. I needed the students that I serve that are younger than me that are sensitive and would just pick up on it and, and interact with me in their, in their youthful stage of life. Mm. I needed old, older women that were courageous and brave enough to be able to connect with me on that level. I mean, I needed, I needed all women. <laughs> yeah. um, mm. And I think that, yeah, as a woman, it, it felt really good to be seen and connected to other women that even if that wasn't their journey, they were courageous enough to extend their hearts to me mm. um, in their way. Mm. Mm. That's so good. It, it makes me now even more curious about like, why do you all think that there's such a stigma attached to infertility, especially in the black community amongst black women and this, the silence. I think it's, it's embarrassing. And I think we also, we also kind of believe the hype, you know, when we talk about how black women are hyper-fertile. Mm. I think as a community, we also believe the hype, right? The women who don't have children don't have them because they can't or because they've had a loss. They don't have them because that's the rich auntie. They didn't want them. You know, mm -hmm. and so I don't think we've had the conversations. You know, I say, you know, my great my great grandmother had thirteen living children, living children. So somewhere in there, there were some losses. Mm -hmm. Were they stillborns? Were they miscarriages? I'm not sure because no one talked about those. Um, and so I think that there is shame around it. I think, you know, we were talking earlier, and I don't think we as African Americans have been given the space to grieve. You know, mm -hmm. when. 
you know, our great grandparents were picking in the cotton fields. They didn't say, oh, you had a miscarriage. Today you get a break. Mm-hmm. It was there's a whole field over there for you to finish. Right. Mm-hmm. And so when we have not never been given the room in the space to properly grieve, we didn't get that benefit. We didn't get that blessing. We are then taught to continue to move forward. And we don't talk about those things. Kind of like, what is it? We don't talk about Bruno. We don't talk about those things, you know? <laughs> yeah, and so because we are strong, we found our strength wherever we got it from, um, and we are supposed to stand strong because it could be worse. Mm. It used to be worse. You'll figure it out. And then when you, because fertility is our fault, so when you pray about it, when you use the oil, when right. you eat the dams, take yeah. the geritol, and you pray even harder because you've been faithful, God will deliver. Well, that's not how it works. Um, And so then it becomes a battle, in my experience, between the reality, my faith, my friends and family, because you don't know about this until Mm -hmm. you're in it. And doing all those things doesn't help. And so what you're doing is you're coming to me and telling me I'm not faithful enough. That's not true, because you don't know my walk with God, I do. Mm. Um, And so sometimes I think it's also we don't want to get into those conversations yeah. because then you're really attacking the foundation of blackness, God. Yeah. Mm. Um, and so if you come from a very spiritual religious background, when you ask the question to your loved one, mm. you can't say that about God. I didn't say it about God. I'm talking about me and I want mm. to have a conversation about me. Um, and those can be very scary spaces to be. Mm. Um, I think another thing is that it's the information. I think knowledge is power. And I think because the culture hasn't been doing a lot of research until recently, I think we're having more conversation about infertility. I think we was, we, that was something we didn't talk about because if you look at history, um, even outside the black community, in biology, when something went wrong with the woman's um uh, fertile areas, they automatically gave them a hysterectomy. That was just the answer for everything in culture in previous time. And I think it's been passed down in a way where we don't we don't think that there's a solution sometimes. And some people don't feel empowered enough to do research on their own bodies. We just accept the diagnosis. And then, like you said, some people suppress it. We have coping mechanisms. We're going to be the rich auntie. And I feel like, uh, again, like it just has everything to do with that shame thing. Um, But the information, I feel like, plays a big part, too, because if I tell you and you don't have any answers except God going to fix it, then, you know, are you going to help me research? Mm -hmm. You know, what are you going to do? How do you walk with me? Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. it's the the safe places. Um, Some people don't know how to create a safe place Mm -hmm. when they are fertile. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you, it's kind of like when a person dies, you don't want them to come over and eat your food and be like, we party and it's the turn up. Sometimes you just want them to sit there and be, yeah. you know? So I think that plays a part too. Some people don't know how yeah. to be there. Yeah. Mm. Hi, I'm Darius Hillman. Joining me on the next In the Arena, author, speaker, change agent, and host of the Can TV original program, Behind the Confident Smile, Bianca Cotton. I'm inspiring women and girls to walk in love, live in hope, and be healed from past hurts. Tuesday at 7 o'clock on Can TV Cable Channel 19 and streaming on CanTV.org and the Can TV Plus app. Experience the power of community television. 
So we're going to go there. <laughs> we're going to go there. Um, starting with you, Sarah. You and your husband uh, tried IVF for years and experienced several miscarriages and um, had a still birth. Um, not too long ago, before conceiving your son, who is now a five months old yeah. now, mm -hmm. um, and carrying him to full term, but now 11 years later yeah. of your journey. Um, how would you describe your journey of thinking if you would ever have a child? How would I describe it? Um, I, I don't have words. I mean, pretty much all the bad words that you can think of. <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> explicative, explicative. Yes, all the words, okay? <laughs> like, all the, all those words. Um, it, I felt hopeless. I, mm. we, in the beginning, I actually felt very like, oh, watch this. Like, mm -hmm. watch God work. Mm -hmm. um, I did a lot of things holistic. You name it, I did it, right? Mm -hmm. I did like raw foods diet. I was vegetarian and vegan and yes. did a lot of different things to partner with my body and regulate my hormones. Um, and then after doing that for about five years, mm. I was like, okay, you know, the doctors had pretty much let me know you've, we, you can keep doing that. <laughs> you can keep that same energy. But at this point, the next step would be IVF. And I really prayed about that and had an internal war about whether I should do that or not, um, was also mm -hmm. told that my fallopian tubes were closed. It just, it felt like there was a very, just a grim possibility that it wouldn't happen. And, and I believe that God is sovereign. So I don't look for him to just give me my way mm -hmm. um, because I want something, right? Like I, I understand that it may mean me accepting something in, mm -hmm. in an experience that I have with him um, and learning him in a way and his beauty and his greatness that may look different than what I'm expecting for it to look. Um, the hardest part, honestly, were the losses. It was, I mean, mm -hmm. we got pregnant every time. Um, mm -hmm. We had nine miscarriages and then the stillbirth and the, the timing of it was just hard like <laughs> because of at that point of time, I want to say I had had four losses and then um, mm -hmm. we had gotten pregnant and, and every month that was going by, I just was like, is this really real? Okay, mm -hmm. like this is happening. It was like, we found out before Christmas and then we went and it's like, okay, we can tell the world on New Year's and then, which was like kind of early to tell, but it, still, I was like so excited. Mm -hmm. And then we got to our February and our March and our April, and on Mother's Day was when we lost our son. Mm. And um, when I tell you mm. just the the encounter from the reception desk in trying to ensure that I didn't lose my composure to be seen, mm. uh, it was during the pandemic, so that was another thing. Um, but then after the stillbirth, and I didn't even know that I had to deliver, right? Like, I, yeah. I, I don't know what I was thinking I was yeah, going to have to do, but I didn't know that that was going to be mm. a factor. Um, and so after we went through all of that and I got back into IVF, we had five losses to follow to our last embryo. I mean, we lost everything. And so mm. I 
changed my approach, for lack of a better word, in the sense of understanding mm-hmm. that this is something that may not be. Um, mm-hmm. And yet, there was another part of me that's like, I think I want a second opinion still. <laughs> and so like, even in doing that, I, I, I didn't even know that I was already pregnant and I had nothing to say as far as like, it was this thing, right? Like mm. there were so many variables. So a lot of the time people say things like, see, you just needed to stop putting your faith in science and then it would happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> Do you know how many things they was exactly. doing to help regulate my body all them years? Like, mm-hmm. you know what yeah. I mean? Like, ain't no way. There, there were a lot of things I'm like sure helpful that statement. helped, right? <laughs> helped right. a lot um, in in doing what needed to be done. Mm. And yet, I don't know. I just, I have nothing. But I can say that it was hard and um, and it still is mm. in, a, in a way, yeah. right? Because even though we have this beautiful baby, um, the, the haunting experience of that mm-hmm. did not just melt mm-hmm. away and disappear, Correct. right? So. Yeah. 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 So how are you managing the grief, right? And the the years of loss um, while living with the newborn. What Yeah. Um that's a good question. <laughs> I think I've I managed in the sense of I, I honestly and I and I'd, I'd said this for the first time when we were actually at our shower, I felt like apologizing to everyone. And I'm sure that people were looking at me like, girl, what are you saying? Um, (laughs) But I felt like apologizing to everyone because I know I missed out on a lot over those years. Um, Mm. Birthdays, I missed other people's showers. Mm. I was there as much as I could be. And at times I felt like it made me look crazy and like a flake and it was complete disappointment. Mm. And so I felt like apologizing, but also acknowledging how I learned about grief from a few people. Um, My aunt who took care of me when she was in her young thirties, she lost her dad and she tried to be so okay for us uh, as a mother figure. And I never realized until my adult life just what that probably took for her. Mm -hmm. Um, A friend of mine who lost her husband, I watched her worship and just saturate herself in music at all times Mm -hmm. and how like that had to do something to her mind to keep it above water. Right. Mm -hmm. And then my husband who buried his mom and just this, this person that had gone through a loss where you would expect in a, in a more traditional setting that it would be that that would happen when he was older in age. Right. Um, but he was young when he lost his mom. And so I learned from watching other people go through grief, but I think more than anything, mm-hmm. it was just um, not wanting to die myself, right? Like there were there were instances where I was scared that I was that low, like mm-hmm. the sun would be out, it would be gorgeous and beautiful. And I'm all things about sunshine and warmth. <laughs> and just the the like, what is going on in my mind right you do want to live, right? Like mm-hmm. you're, you're not going to measure your life by the anguish of this time. It's just working towards what are my thoughts saying? What are these thoughts 
really like connected to? Are they my thoughts? Are they suggestive thoughts? And filtering those things because at the end of the day, I mean, I, like for women that go through loss or not being able to conceive, your life is not valued solely by that and measured mm-hmm. in its value solely by that. Mm-hmm. And so just that reminder, I think, was a help. Mm. Thank you for sharing all of that and, and the very realness of my struggle isn't over, really, right? Like the, the mental and emotional peace I'm still putting back together is what I hear from you. Yeah. Um, and yes, you see my beautiful son. He is so cute. I'll be watching the videos. <laughs> but that there's a mom and a dad who is still recovering. And to for, for us to remember as those in a part of the community, right? To remember to check in and say, hey, how are you doing? How are you really doing? especially um, in a time where Mother's Day is approaching, right? Like that may be a a day, uh, a triggering moment for you, right? So it's us in the community um, making sure that we don't forget uh, to check in, which I think is um, helpful, right? so for you, Brandy, um, you and your husband are going the down, donor egg route. Mm-hmm. And uh, in previous conversations, we've talked about that. And you have educated me beyond what you even <laughs> know. I oh, I just like something new. I feel like I got a new book I need to read. Um, how did you learn about the path of going the donor egg route and even like the cost that is associated with that? Um, bring us into your world. So I learned about donor egg from the resident. So the resident mm-hmm. who said, hey, did you know that you had this condition? Um, she mentioned donor egg as an option for starting the family um, because I don't have any children nor do my husband. And so I went into the hole. She doesn't know what she's talking about. I'm standing 10 toes down in this. Watch mm. this. We've been married almost 18 years and we're still watching for the thing to happen. So clearly mm. it did not work. Um, and so when I came out of my watch this phase, um, I went into a deep depression phase mm. because nothing had worked. And then I came out of it like, well, we still want children. Um, and so then I did the information and I did the research to look into see what that w- would look like. Um, and so through various organizations, um, which I, I know we'll talk about later, but through various organizations um, that were there for me, I was able to really talk to other people who had experienced this. Mm. Um, and so I found out it's not cheap. Oh, no. It's not cheap. I thought we have very good insurance and I thought we're OK. Um, but the insurance covers medical treatments, not the procurement of the genetics. So the procurement of the egg that we need. That would be, depending on the agency, about $30,000. Last time I checked, there's no money tree in our backyard. Um, And so life is lifing. We have mortgages and bills and things. We don't just have 30 30, grand in liquid assets sitting somewhere to give to an agency. That has nothing to do with medication, nothing to do with anything. That's just paying the agency for access to the donor, for her to be able to go through the process to retrieve her eggs. 
then we still have to pay for everything else. Pay for her retrieval, pay for her medication. If she doesn't live here, pay for her travel, pay for her companion's travel, pay for miscellaneous, pay for her insurance, mm. pay, 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 pay. Well, hold on a second. Um, and so, mm. again, we are fortunate to have insurance that covers the medical piece because everyone doesn't have that. Um, but we couldn't afford the procurement piece. So it's been years of applying for grants, um, um, saving money, um, emergency fund building, but then life happens when your car mm. breaks down, the money to go towards the eggs has to go to fix the car. Now you're back at square one. Mm. So um, the research helped me figure out how much it's gonna cost. Um, but then even going back to a question earlier, when I walk into your space in your donor bank, has no one who looks like me, I don't feel like I belong here again, right? And so I need to then find these other agencies outside of where I am to be able to procure the eggs. So it's been, um, it's been an interesting journey. Mm. Again, it has ups, it has its downs, um, and we're still in it. You know, we hope that this year the plan is to um, be able to afford a, a donor agency that I found out about last year. Um, it has much more of a um, feasible payment uh, uh, arrangement, and they seem to fit more into how I want to move forward in using a donor. Um, mm. Because using a donor, you can use an anonymous donor, you can use yeah. a known donor. Um, anonymity is not what I feel comfortable with, because I do feel that people have the right to understand and know their genetics. And by using an anonymous donor, it's more difficult. People do what they feel they have to do, but for me, myself and my husband, um, we want them to be able to know, um, to have access easily to that genetics. Meaning that if they woke up at 10 and said, hey, I have a question for my donor, they can reach out to, the, to their donor and ask those questions. Mm. Versus some spaces will do um, open ID at 18, meaning that they get their donor's information at 18, but, but why is it that we have to wait until they're 18 when they have questions at 10, five? Um, and so, Part of the journey is also coming to terms with an open, not relationship, but just open information. Mm -hmm. Because we believe that our child or children should have access to that when they want to, not when some arbitrary group says they should. Mm -hmm. Hmm. Curious about how you have been managing your mental health through 18 years. Oh, uh, I am crazy as Bessie <laughs> <laughs> I am already like this wandering spirit. My family's like, where did you come from? Um, and so I believe in therapy. You know, I think that too. <laughs> therapy is kind of like Goldilocks. You have to really find the right person. Mm -hmm. um, Agreed. And I'm not a very um, like emotional, touchy person. So getting a therapist who's like, oh, that's I'm going to touch you. No, let's <laughs> talk about this. No, that's not going to work, right? I need someone who says, hey, today, did you shower? Let's talk about moving you forward. Did you journal today? Did you do these things? I need a therapist who's going to really challenge me. Mm. Um, and so it was really important for me to find a therapist who did that. Um, also having a community, a community mm. of people who, um, who look like me and who don't. Because when it comes to infertility and grief, it has no boundaries, right? Mm. But I do believe finding people who look like me, um, they were able to understand some things without me having to say anything. I don't want to have mm. to always explain myself. When I say, oh, I walked to an office today, that wall, other people don't understand that. But in my room with people who look like me, they say, yeah, girl, that was me too. Um, and so there's mm. a hominess to it. Mm -hmm. And so for me, 
therapy, being open as much as I can. Um, because I do think that in a way, the trauma and the experiences that we do have, it's not always a lesson for us, but could also be lessons for other people. So I do believe that. But again, I didn't stand in that line. I didn't mean to be over there, but I but I got it, right? Um, mm-hmm. And so being able to share that with other people and then for them to be able to say, I thought it was just me. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I didn't do something because I heard you. And because you were open enough to share, I didn't go down that dark road. Yeah. Um, and now I know that I can go talk to someone. I know that it's not just me. I know that I am not alone. Makes me say, well, I didn't ask for this, but... I'm happy that I was able to help someone else. Um, so therapy, support in other spaces, and knowing that I am being of service and help to other people mm-hmm. um, also helps. But I know that I'm also a little touched. <laughs> so the craziness in here also helps me get through because I figure out what works for me in the moment. You know, yeah. what works for me today may not be what works for me tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yes, really. Mm-hmm. Erica. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Just go ahead and get the giggles out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what was your experience um, with remaining silent about not being able to conceive a child, even though that was the expectation in marriage? So I also want to put context around your question okay. a little bit because you disclosed this to us yeah. that you've been married three times. Right. I got it so, right the third time. Right. So <laughs> I'm talking about in the, the first marriage. Yeah. So um, it's kind of like what um, Sarah was saying, like, and even what Brandy was saying, like, you have this plan. Oh, I know that I got this together. I'm going to have three kids by 25 and everything's going to be all right. Mm-hmm. And you go to the doctor and, they, and then you find out that that's not the case. Um, I didn't see anybody in my community at all that that had infertility issues. I feel like I was blessed that while um, I was going through my infertility, I met my doc- my lawyer, who just mm-hmm. so happened that his wife was going through infertility. And I think they had been going through it for like almost 20 years. And uh, we were sharing stories. I was telling them what was going on with the doctors. And uh, he was encouraging me. I had never talked to his wife yet at all. And... Uh, he told me about a group that his wife was in and I joined the group. Originally that group was in the baby center. I didn't get on Facebook until my daughter, until I got pregnant with my daughter, but it was a group in the baby center. And I noticed that these were all like kind of well off mm-hmm. um, women um, that were not my color at all, just sharing information. And it, it was able for me to kind of like have a safe place mm-hmm. to talk to them. But then, you know, at, at this time when I was going through infertility, I was like, uh, I was serving in youth ministry at church and like everybody around me were having kids. So it's like, how do you talk to somebody mm-hmm. who's breeding <laughs> at rapid rates? And I'm just trying to have one. And I didn't feel like they could relate. So why share something with them, and then I think a lot of it had to do with shame too, because I didn't want somebody to see me as weak. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think I was having a lot of eternal battles, and I think that goes to what you were saying about uh, us suppressing stuff. You know, you have your faith, like, oh, I'll have a testimony on this, so I don't have to tell it yet. I don't have to tell it yet. I can wait. 
but then I'm suffering in silence and I'm bleeding. And you don't really pay attention to the fact that I'm bleeding in this one area and mm. subconsciously it's spilling in other areas mm. of my life. Like I didn't have a hernia until I had laparoscopy because they did a botch job in mm. putting me together. So, you know, it wasn't until I joined, uh, took kind of took my power back and joined those community groups and not being afraid to type. Cause you know, sometimes you got those community groups and you don't want to show your face <laughs> so that just in case somebody in the room. <laughs> and so, you know, it was like, I think for me, mm. even joining the first group that I joined was that I was taking my power back. But, you know, that silence was primarily because our, the black I, I've I've never seen and and I don't it's the black community but I I would want to say like certain social classes honestly mm -hmm. don't talk about infertility because the myth is we don't have the money to fix the problem so whatever mm -hmm. the problem is you just got to deal with it like. I didn't find out until I joined community groups that depend on what state you live in, you can get insurance, kind of like what you were saying for X, Y, and Z, you know, or even like I found out through that community group about surrogates, you know, mm -hmm. you know, what you want to look for in a surrogate, you know, I, I learned about IVF, all this. So it empowered me in those community groups to go to my doctor and say, this is what I want to do. This is what I need done. Can you do this for me? Mm -hmm. And when they wasn't trying to comply, you're not the person for me mm -hmm. because I didn't went to this community group who then gave me information based off their own trials yeah. that kind of like gave me the fuel mm -hmm. to be like, okay, so it might be possible. It may take longer, but it might be possible. And I could share with them like, it didn't work. Mm -hmm. I didn't get pregnant. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what is polycystic ovary syndrome? What is the difference between that and endometriosis? Because mm -hmm. in my opinion, they like kissing cousins for some reason. They like super close. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't know that because you don't have a period every month that all of this stuff is happening. It's like, that's why I feel like it's so important to have those groups because the silence makes your mind kind of like, it's, it's, you know how they say it's ministering to you, mm. but that's what it's doing. It's entertaining this thought that you can't. It's impossible. Mm. And nobody's giving you hope or solution that it, that it can't be possible. Mm. Oh, as we uh, wrap up this beautiful, beautifully enlightening, painful um, insightful conversation about real life, right? Just real life, sitting in my grandmama's kitchen, like I told y'all <laughs> earlier, right? <laughs> Support. What supports are in place for women who are experiencing infertility? There were a bit shared here, but if you all could direct um, women and families in a certain direction, what would that be? I'm all about um, social media because that has been one of my safe spaces. Mm -hmm. um, so my very first group was uh, FFCG called Fertility for Colored Girls. Mm -hmm. um, I am part of a, a, a white group, a Christian white group called Wives United in Prayer. And the president said, hey, Brandy, I know what you're going through. 
there's a program happening at this address. You should go. It really was not even five minutes from where I worked. Mm-hmm. And so I walked into a room of nothing but people who looked like us. The physicians looked like us, everything. I have not left them since. Mm-hmm. Um, that has been a space for myself and my husband to really get our feet wet in talking to people about how we feel and getting the information. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's another group called um, uh, Daughters of Hannah and I'm missing one, Black Women in Fertility. But one of the newer ones for me is uh, Every Shade of Fertility, because mm-hmm. that one is focused specifically on women of color using a donor of some sort, donor egg, donor sperm, and um, donor embryos. Mm-hmm. So for me, those spaces have been great, because although they are virtual, um, we can still connect in tangibly in real yeah. life. Um, you know, we meet up, um, I help run a support group. So there are different ways if you want to stay typing, you can do that. But if you want to like move into the space and share mm-hmm. air, <laughs> you can also mm-hmm. do that as well. So mm-hmm. those have been really great spaces for me um, in terms of women of color. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. Mm-hmm. Sarah? I found myself really reluctant to getting connected more publicly to all the different supports that were out there. And I may have missed out on some really good opportunities to have been able to, have, mm. you know, gotten some support in those areas. For me, it was human connection with the people that were courageous enough in my proximity to talk to me about it. And, mm. and that ended up being sufficient for me. I had women that I didn't even know through my job that were coworkers that had gone through IVF that literally brought me in their room. And they were like, these are the vials, draw it up. Mm. this is like, what are you going to do? <laughs> you, the, like, this is the medicine that goes with this, that goes with this. Um, you're going to need to take out, you know, this amount from this file mm. and this, in this many times a day. Right. And just kind of making the reality of like, okay, that's how that functions. So people that were willing to be open about their journey was a big support um, therapy. And, and I'm thankful that you made mention of that because I did not go without therapy to get through that process. Um, but for me, it was it was people that were willing to talk about it. And um, and again, it didn't have to be those that empathized with the journey directly through that, that loss experience or the IVF experience. It was just those that were willing to, to see me in my state and know how to be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Just be. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think for me, um, I'm going to give it from two perspectives. For me, the baby center was great because at that time I didn't uh, know of any uh, other groups to kind of lean on. Um, I would say the Facebook groups, you know, are really good. I'm not part of any Facebook groups. But um, I've heard uh, people that I've walked with during this time um, that are a part of a few groups. Um, I I totally agree with what Sarah was saying. Like, even if a person hasn't gone through it, uh, creating that hedge of community to uh, speak to your situation, you know, whether you naturally conceive IVF or whatever, but have those people who walk with you um, and um, are willing to be like a voice, not even a voice, but just to hear you, you know, to pray with you, you know, because I'm a firm believer you need intercessors in every part of your walk. Um, and then, like, I think therapy is good, but, like, just really 
even if you have to create your community Mm -hmm. because you may not know what you need in that season. And even through even every trial of your uh, fertility journey, you may need a different type of person. You may Mm -hmm. have started off where uh, you missed because, you know, there are times when women miss, um, you know, you may miss the medicine you're supposed to take Mm -hmm. or you miss your injection. That is a big thing. Use discernment in who you speak to. Yeah. Be mindful of them too, because I, from both lenses, sometimes you can be inconsiderate of people because you're going through. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like you want to make sure that you're protecting your space, but you also want to make sure that you're you're giving yourself grace. Mm. Erica, Sarah, Brandy, thank you so much for. The conversation today, the richness, the open heart, the grief shared, the challenges shared, and the beauty and the brokenness that's been shared. We didn't get a chance to get to talking about your spouses and how they felt in this journey, but I don't want to go without thanking them too um, for agreeing for you to be here, right? Because this is a family affair. And so thank you, husbands who are watching. Um, And for those who are experiencing infertility, know that you are not alone. And this conversation was for you. So thank you for tuning in. And for those who are family members and friends of those who are experiencing infertility, please share.